0: If you're Latino and climbing the corporate ladder, you need to know what thousands of executives before you have learned about getting ahead while being Latino. If you're not Hispanic or Latino or Latinx, but you want to be a more inclusive leader, you want to know the subtle ways that culture can be a barrier or an asset as people are getting ahead. My next guest has the answers. I'm happy to welcome my guest, Andres Tapia. He's a senior executive at Corn Ferry. He's been in corporate America as an executive, as a leader, even as a journalist for over 25 years. You grew up in Lima, Peru in a bilingual home. All of these things qualify you so much to share with us about advancing as a Latino or Latina or Latinx in corporate America, in today's world. And you've written a number of books, most recently, Five Disciplines of an Inclusive Leader, but also Authentico. And we're gonna be talking about those two books today. And uh, I know you've written other books as well, but we're really gonna focus on those two and and drawing on your experiences, but also your research. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the research that went into the Five Disciplines of an Inclusive Leader.
1: Well, First of all, Bonnie, it's so nice to see you. Thanks for this invitation to be with you and your audience and your followers and to share some insights uh, about Latino leadership and also about inclusive leadership. Uh, you know, you ask about the, the research behind uh, the inclusive leader, and I would say also the research behind Auténtico. Uh, as a journalist and as a thought leader in corporate, I really believe not only in the power of story, but I believe in the power of story as told by numbers. And so, what does an inclusive leader look like? Uh, and I partner with the Corn Ferry Institute and other colleagues to plumb our database of three million plus leadership assessments from around the world, collected over a few decades. Where we, uh, you know, we help place the top leaders around the world. We help help them su- into succession into top leadership. We hire them at every level. So we really have a point of view through our data about great leadership looks like, but the question was, what does an inclusive leader look like? And so through a variety of psychometric, PhD kind of research, and then a lot of field research of having worked with inclusive leaders around the world, we developed this model.
0: Well, aren't women and minorities, aren't we automatically inclusive leaders? We, we, we just, we're just inclusive, right?
1: I wish I could say that. I wish that we, you know, were so enlightened uh, that we were free from the biases that we actually have been on the receiving end of by those in the majority culture. And but unfortunately, we all have our not only unconscious biases, but we also may have our conscious biases. And even as we work our way through those, that doesn't automatically make us an inclusive leader. So inclusive leadership is not just about the absence uh, of exclusionary behaviors and attitudes or hostility. It's not just about that. It's a given. It's about how effective is a leader in driving the transformation into a more diverse, inclusive and equitable organization. That's a huge difference between the two.
0: So it's a very specific skill is what you're saying. And, and nobody comes by it naturally is what it sounds like you're saying. Is, oh. is it something, you know, I was a ski racer. Skiing is never natural. Everyone has to learn it, right? And so that's what I'm hearing is everyone has to learn this. Is that, that's fair?
1: Well, absolutely. It's a skill like your skiing analogy, but also when it comes to inclusion, people make a big mistake assumption in the mistaken assumption. And that is that to be inclusive, it's enough to be open to other people. It's enough to know the business case of diversity and inclusion. It's enough to speak up on behalf of it and be a champion of it.
0: It's enough and not that, to be a bad person, right? No, it's, it's not. not being
1: a person, but even to wave the flag as if that was an inclusive leadership, but that's an old, outdated best practice of CEO as diversity champion. Of course, they want that person to be a diversity champion, But really inclusive leadership is about the ability to effectively lead inclusively and lead a diverse organization inclusively to achieve equitable results in terms of its talent and leverage that diversity in an inclusive way to achieve organizational goals that are above and beyond just being more diverse and inclusive. It's about growing markets, leading into innovation, enhancing your corporate reputation. Inclusive leaders are able to do all of that.
0: I just wanna draw the parallel too. We're gonna be talking specifically also about Latino and Hispanic culture and leadership. And so what what is the unique experience for Mm -hmm. that that group of people which you studied and lived? And and for me, the comparison again is I have a disability. Just because I have a disability doesn't mean I understand all the, the issues in an organization related to disability. So, so you're saying we have to study to be inclusive leaders to, to understand how all this plays out. We even have to study to understand our own issues. So we're gonna, we're gonna be getting into that too. So even if you're Latino, there's no way that you understand all of the issues of how our culture plays out in, in the, the organization. So, so all of these things require attention uh, to grow and to get better at it, whether it's your own culture or other people's culture, we have to work at it to be good, inclusive. Oh, yeah, we're
1: buried in layers of denial, unawareness, hurt, pain, you know, confusion.
0: But there's also differences. So again, with the disability analogy, I have an amputation of my leg, but there's people who are paralyzed or blind, or, you know, there's all different disabilities. And the same with Latino culture, right? You've got, I'll let you answer, the the variations of Latino culture.
1: Well, yeah, you know, so let's talk about, the diversity within the the umbrella of Latino, Latina, Latinx, Hispanic, right, T- twenty seven different nationalities, um, first, second, third, fourth generation immigration into the United States, Spanish dominant, English dominant, Spanglish dominant, right, you know Gen Z, Gen Y, you know Gen X, Boomer, traditionalist, right, and so all of these things create a variety and a variance of diversity. And there's one other that's very important. Latinos, we're not a racial group, we're an ethnic group. We're a multiracial group. So we got Afro-Latino, Asian-Latino, European-White-Latino, right? And so what what does it mean to be Latino-Latina? And so for Latinos, more than any other group, because of our multiracialness, we actually have more of a choice to make about how we present as Latino, Latina and what that means to us. And where is it that we choose to assimilate where we choose not to and where is it that we're conflicted?
0: I wanted to ask you about that too, because when you're black, you're, you, people can see it, right? So you don't always have a choice. Although uh, Skip Gates once told my daughter who has blue eyes and, and blonde hair, she's incognito.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but aside from that, yeah, there's generally a lot more flexibility in the Latino world about how you show up. And you talked about four, four different types, the invisible, the retro, the equivocal, and the unapologetic. Uh, share, share with that. Those are some choices about how you show up, right?
1: Totally choices. Uh, and so the invisible is a Latino Latina that, I mean, they got the, the surname, they may have the f- some features that we might recognize as Latinos. You may
0: not even have the surname, right?
1: You may not, but I'm even going with the ones that do because, because here's the choice part, right? Where they have either because they've been so assimilated in their upbringing or they've been hurt by prejudice because of their surname, right? Or being Latino is just not important to them for whatever reason, where there's nothing about how they present explicitly that is Latino, so they're invisible, right? They just say, I'm an American, or I don't even think about that. So there's that invisibility to it. And you're right, some may not even have the surname, but it's that power of the choice of, I'm going to be invisible, right? I'm gonna put on a cloak and not identify, that's one. The other one is the equivocal Latino. And this is a Latino that equivocates in terms of how they present, and they tend to show up differently depending on the context. So it's a, a situational form of expression. Right, where they are in corporate America, they just present on very European-American mannerisms and way of talking, and they might be Ricky instead of Ricardo and, and all those things, right?
0: Right, you could but have then, been Andy. You could have been Andy, but you just- Yeah, and it. I don't like that at all, right?
1: But the equivocal goes with that, right? And, uh, and then they equivocate, because when they're in the, back in the barrio, man, their mannerisms open up and their, 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 their Spanish is there and fluent, And they are Ricardo, right? And they're doing the salsa and the bachata. But if you were to look at this person, they show up very differently and they equivocate from one environment to that, and they're not integrated into identity. The third is the unapologetic Latino. The one that within about 26 seconds, you know that they're all out Latino. You know, they they say their name, Andres Tapia, and they are deliberate about saying it in a Spanish-accented way. Uh, They tell you that they're from Lima, Peru, and that's where they grew up. And before you know it, you're invited to a fiesta, you're invited to some Peruvian food and some pisco sours, arroz con pollo and ceviche. and they're unapologetic, no matter what environment they're in, it's just the presenting aspect of who they are. And then there's a retro Latino. And the retro Latino is someone who grew up assimilationist, assimilated, invisible, but there's a moment as a young adult often where you start to formulate your individuation, where they start to go, what does this Latino surname mean? These features Society's reacting to me a certain way. What is it? And they start to do a retroactive rediscovery. Of what does it mean to be Latino? And uh, you can imagine I'm the unapologetic Latino in the pairing because I co-wrote this with my friend, Robert Rodriguez. And he's, more, he's from the retro side. He grew up in Texas. I mean, he was born in Texas, but grew up in Minnesota as the only Latino in his environment, playing hockey and going by the name of Bobby. <laughs> and it was hey, only- just with-
0: for everybody's reference, You're draw- we're drawing on the book Autentico now. So if you yeah. wanted to look up this, this is where it is. So we're gonna go back and forth between both books.
1: There, there you go. So, so there we are, right? And there's choices to be made. Now, sometimes the choices are hard to make because if you grew up assimilated and you did not even learn Spanish and your parents chose not to speak Spanish to you because they didn't want they wanted to protect you for the discrimination they suffered because of their accented English, then it's hard to embrace a Latino-ness. But there's still a choice. There's still a discovery path that you can go through. So those are the four quadrants of uh, Latino identity.
0: I I am just, my heart is just so with you because my mother chose to assimilate us very much and very intentionally. I think she felt she suffered. She went to segregated schools when she was little. She had so much pain around it. Just like you're saying, she immersed us in white environments. She sent us to a white, rich private school. She wanted us to be successful. And in many ways it worked, but I had to go back and learn more about Black history and Black, you know, what it meant and, and who I was. And, and so I this happens. And this is what's fascinating is this happens in parallel dimensions in different ways. And I'm sure there's an Asian story for that, you know, and so. there, there's many different stories. What is, as an inclusive, I'm going to jump over to the inclusive leadership side. As an inclusive leader, being aware that there's so many different kinds of Latino cultures and upbringings, how do you flex to, to support and develop these different kinds of people.
1: Well, now you're, you know, it, it bears saying that, you know, you're speaking to the, what the model says, right? What does an inclusive leader look like? And, and you know, for do those who want you, the detail.
0: Do you, right? before you answer my question, do you want to sort of say what the five disciplines are or? Yeah, I, let me,
1: I mean, this is a good moment uh, to talk about the five disciplines and then uh, be able to then answer the question from that, right? Um, so the model is that, there are these enabling traits in the middle of it, right? And we've identified about 11 of them and they're grouped into five trait composites. Um, and, uh, but then there is the five disciplines which are really of inclusive leadership, which are the behaviors. And there's five and then there's sub competencies underneath them. But let me just tell you that the five, one is to the ability to build interpersonal trust. The other one is to integrate diverse perspectives. The third is to optimize talent the fourth is to apply an adaptive mindset. And the fifth discipline is to achieve transformation. So to answer your question, the, if you think about those five, they roughly follow an expanding level of radius, radius of impact. So to build interpersonal trust is to lead self. The next two of integrate diverse perspectives and develop talent um, is to uh, build team. You know, How do I get this team working together? And then the last two, applying an adaptive mindset in achieving transformation is about how do I leverage the diversity and inclusion to achieve organizational impact. So now to your question, it's a built interpersonal trust that requires the self-work. What are my unconscious biases? Where is it that I may have privilege? Where is it that I can be an ally? And part of being an ally is actually learning about the particular experiences of those who are Latino, black, with a disability veteran, Because I don't know right? Or I know a little bit, but I cannot possibly be a good ally. And I can't possibly build interpersonal trust if I don't do the work of learning more about you and others who are different from me and what those realities are.
0: I'm going to challenge you, though, too, because you're saying this idea of learning more about the Latino experience is more about building interpersonal trust. If you're uh, looking at organizational structures, though, too, if you're looking at how does HR hire or what is the interview process, knowing that, you know, some people are bilingual, some people aren't, some people, you know, doesn't that come into some of the structural questions too?
1: Oh, absolutely. And that's where, you know, I, I went to the part of the model that's about the five disciplines and the performance, right? The behaviors, but it, within the enabling traits, these traits enable all five disciplines. And one of the enabling traits is curiosity. And, and I want to underline that one because, you know, as much as these... Our research shows that these 11 enabling traits are important. Curiosity is one of the most important ones. Why is that? Because a default that people in corporate America have in leaders have to make the diversity work is to focus and zero in on what we have in common. Common vision, <laughs> common goals, you know, and and, and even, com- you know, we all love to eat or we all love to get together with some activities. And and it's the, the, the tool that is used over and over and over again to be the glue, the unity and commonality becomes the glue for managing the difficulty and paradoxes of diversity. But the inclusion paradox, which is a term I coined in my first book called inclusion paradox, is that if we do that, we actually create exclusion. Because when I assume similarity, when I only focus on the things we have in common, a couple of things are happening. I'm erasing all those things that make you unique, which is very exclusionary. And I'm also then assuming that you're just like me. <laughs> and that's where the, it's, that's the place of colorblindness and gender blindness that actually it's very exclusionary for those reasons. So curiosity, is the antidote to that because then curiosity then puts us in a position to uh, assume that I don't know what your difference means, but I assume that you are different in certain ways. Let me find out what that means. And when I do that, not only do I establish trust, which is the self part, the one-on-one, but now I have a better understanding of how my team might be operating differently or team members need different things and I have to accommodate that. And now, knowing what those differences mean and what people bring to the table and the different experiences and different ways of thinking, now I'm able to leverage those tools and those insights into driving organizational impact. So curiosity is the key to give you octane to really be the inclusive leader that you need to be.
0: Wow, that was a great description. What I, I have to say, one of the things I love in your books too is that you not only talk about gender and ethnicity but also the generations and looking at the difference in the way baby boomers grapple with some of these issues versus uh Gen Z and and millennials. And and uh, tell us a little bit about that when it comes to inclusive leadership, how does the approach differ? And we'll just sort of take two cases, sort of the Millennials and Gen Z versus Boomers and Gen X.
1: You know, inclusive leadership requires understanding who you're working with and who you're leading. And, uh, and the generational thing is many times one of the most overlooked things. And without getting into the particulars of politics, let me say that as much as we've looked at politics through the lens of race and ethnicity and other the classics, one of the biggest divides in politics today is generational. You just look at any topic, climate change, you know, criminal reform, justice, you know, racial issues, et cetera, and the divide generation in terms of being opposite is there. So what's going on? You know, and not only does that reflect in political views, but then it reflects into views of how a corporation should manage the people, because that's a form of politics, right? It's policy, and so what millennials and Gen Z are asking for in many ways is so different and what boomers and and even Gen X are asking for. And this creates tensions in their organization. And inclusive leaders are tuned into that and are able to look at issues of race and gender uh, through also the intersectionality of generation. So we can distinguish that. So when we did Authentico, for example, just as an illustration, we did pay attention to that. You know, our research for that, you asked about research for inclusive leader, but our research for Authentico was we interviewed 20 very successful Latino, Latina executives. By definition, they were boomers because they were a top of their game, right? They were, and, and we learned from them. What were your keys to success and all that? Great. But then we said, but how is that different for Latinx, which is the term that we like using for Gen, you know, Gen Y and Gen Z uh, and to say, why is their experience different? So we did five focus groups across the country. And we asked specifically, and we were able to then do a compare and contrast, but where is it that their experiences their attitudes and beliefs were similar? Because they had the Latino, Latina heritage. And where is it because of generational, they diverge in their experiences, their attitudes and their experience, you know, their, their assumptions and their needs and wants. And their needs and wants were influenced by two things in terms of differences. One is that the boomers, We're often the only ones, the only Latino Latina. So that's a very different experience than when you maybe grew up in a part of the country where half the class was Latino. Or you are part of a newly graduated class and a big corporation brings in 30, 40, 50 Latinos as part of that initial class. And there's an employee resource group for you to join that is a Latino group, as opposed to the pioneers are the only ones and they didn't even know what an employee resource group was. So,
0: the, so the demographics changed so much between generations, right? The, just the numbers, the sheer numbers of Latinos in America changed. But also the, the fact that we have ERGs, right? When those those people were at the top now, there were no ERGs when they were coming up or or you know, employee resource yeah. groups or whatever you call them.
1: And to be Latino back then for boomers, it was, it was derided by the mainstream culture, made fun of, you know, there was all these caricatures. And now many Latino things are cool and hip, right? In terms of salsa and bachata and reggaeton and, and just how much Latino artistic influences are in all kinds of musical forms, right? In the, in the mainstream. And in fact, Latino music is in the mainstream now. And then, you know, dulce de leche is the second most popular Ice cream flavor United States, salsa from chips and salsa replaces the all-American ketchup as the number one condiment in the United States. So, so there's something there. And then you take that into: well, is Latino worldview and mindset and presence valued in the corporations? And we're seeing a dichotomy. It's valued up to a point. So are there a lot more Latinos entry level, you know, moving into mid-career? Yes. Is there a dearth of Latino representation in the executive? It's what we call the 4% shame. For you know, 10 years, Latino representation and executive ranks in the boards have been stuck at 4%. Even though our numbers have now we're pushing 20% of the population, and our numbers of going into college and graduate room have been skyrocketing, and we're headed to being a third population, but we're still stuck at 4% in executive ranks. So we're valued, we're present. We look around, we see people like us, we have a very different experience, but where the experience is the same, is that when it comes to seeing us as leaders, the boomer experience and the Gen Y and Gen Z experience is comparable that we're still not seen as you know, leaders and we're still held back from rising to the fullness of our potential.
0: So I feel like you've given me the context really well of how the context is different for the different generations, but how does that change the way they approach rising into leadership, do they Do they show up, do they have different concerns, do they?
1: Absolutely, well, and go back to the four uh, archetypes that I gave you about the choices that are made about how do I present as Latino, Latina. The boomer ones were had a higher incidence of being invisible Latinos, you know. They had to, them. they needed to yeah. do. And, and by definition, the 20 plus that we interviewed, they, Knew it was a book about Latinos, so they they proclaimed and they self-identified as a Latino leader. But when we interviewed them, almost to a T, almost to at the individual, they all entered corporate America's invisible Latinos and were in there for a long time. And only, not until they felt they had power or presence or they were well on their way, they said, "Forget this. You know, I'm. I got to take off this." Assimilationist jacket I put on that doesn't belong to me, and I'm gonna put on, you know, some a cape that is more Latino, I'm gonna be more myself.
0: Plus, the culture changed, right? By the time they got to the top, there were ERGs and they could lead the ERGs and you they know, so it's a different sponsors. context yeah, exactly. of power, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. But the younger generation, they're like, I, I don't have to be assimilated. You know, it's like, why would I be? Right? I'm there's an ERG I'm walking into, and in fact. There's proclaiming that diversity is desirable as opposed to something to hide and be ashamed of. Or I better not show my Latinicity as opposed to, oh, they want Latinos. You know, they're reaching out. So it's a badge, it's a merit, it's a it's a, a differentiator. And so it's a very different mindset of, you know, there's more equivocal ones that are sort of trying to figure out how much of that I should show up here, but there's a lot more unapologetic ones showing up. And a growing number of retro Latinos are saying, oh. I have this Latino thing that I buried growing up because I grew up in Minnesota, but the corporation wants more of it. What does that look like?
0: I think too, in some of your interviews, you talk too about how they'll even say, I wouldn't work for a company that didn't let me do that. I'd leave, you know, cause they, they feel uh, more entitled isn't the right word, but it, like you said, it's, it's more normal. It's, it's expected, you know, why shouldn't I be able to be my full self? And and so there is a very different switch there. Absolutely, that that's really helpful. Um, we're going to come back to that, but I wanna I wanna go uh, into some of the other work you did in Authentico on uh, several ways, and we're going to talk about ways that Latino culture helps and ways that it is a barrier. But let's start more with, uh, how, in American corporate culture, what are some ways that, uh, you know, we could ask this question in different ways that. Has, you know, Hispanic culture is not valued, or it it's it's at odds with mm-hmm. with what's expected in 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 American corporate culture.
1: Yeah, yeah. In the book, we identified several ways in which it's at odds, and it creates dilemmas for Latino talent that's trying to rise uh, to the fullness of potential. So let me illustrate just a couple. Uh, there's a concept um, about from an intercultural anthropological level that you know cultures. Uh, when it comes to sense of identity, uh, interpret that in different ways. Individualistic cultures, I, I, you know, manifest and interpret identity as about the self. It's more individualistic, right? That way. And communal cultures interpret it more as the sense of identity is who do you belong to. And language is an artifact, tip of the iceberg artifact that reveals a deeper worldview underneath it. So I would argue that like for European-American culture, which is individualistic, sense of identity comes from the South, that it's no coincidence that English is the only language in the world where first-person pronoun is capital. That's <laughs> how primary wow. the sense of the individual is. And the only pronoun we capitalize in Spanish is ustedes, the plural you. And our language is much more rife and peppered with the we language. And how does this show up in corporate America? This is very important. You know, behavior-based interview uh, on the part of an individualistic hiring manager in a communal Latino. How does that play out? And behavior-based interview, by the way, was intended to be a mitigator of bias. Don't tell me what you think, but tell me how you behave. And the question looks, sounds like this. Tell me of a time that you led a team to success, asked the individualistic hiring manager. And that communal Latino candidate answers the following way. What we did was, what she did, what they contributed, what we partnered on. And then you're back in the debrief uh, conversation with the recruiter, the hiring manager. And and when I used to be chief diversity officer at Hewitt, uh, I'll be in those rooms, you know, trying to help surface, source more diversity. And the hiring manager turns to the recruiter and says, I don't think that person did anything. (laughs) they just rode the backs of everybody else and the question is are you sure you know the i and the we but you know that we're trained in corporate america to toot your own horn to call attention to your stuff and that is recognized as leadership and if you don't do it and you're waiting to be tapped or you're giving credit to others it may work against you
0: I love this because this is also a gender issue. And and actually, if women start saying I, 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 they sometimes get pushed back for that too. They're arrogant. And Asian cultures, this plays out in Asian cultures in various ways too. And so, so that's that's interesting. And it's and what you're saying is the expectation of corporate culture, if you didn't toot your own horn, then it's harder to help you. We talk a lot about this in our courses too. This is so important. And so finding constructive ways, we'll get back to, to what they what you can do about it. C Dios Quiere is another one about uh, how the, what, is, what is valued in Hispanic culture is maybe not valued in corporate American culture.
1: Yeah. And that, that speaks to another concept of where does your sense of control lie? Is it outside of you? You know, things, um, you know, are outside of you that are outside of your control? Or do you have an internal control that even if things are outside of you, there's things I can do to mitigate their impact on me? And language, again, reflects it. And you brought it up that an external control culture like the Latino one, rooted in Latino Catholic fatalism, you know, does have the language of Dios quiere, God willing, que será, será, what will be, will be. And if I show up late to the airport and I miss my plane, I will not say the Spanish equivalent of I missed the plane, but I will say, el avión me dejó, which means the plane left me, right? And how dare that community of people I'm supposed to be a part of leave me behind. And so, and in contrast, internal control cultures, which is very exemplary of corporate America, pull yourself by your bootstraps, right? Tame the wild west. God helps those who help themselves. So God helps those who help themselves and God willing. Very different worldview. So, you know, we have to be mindful both on the corporate mainstream way, as well as the Latino side, how these worldviews are clashing and how it leads to different performance evaluations. Of, and evaluations of a high potential or leadership quality that we're sort of filtering people out just because of a different worldview, which by the way, not only is different, but it might be the very worldview that corporations need more of in this time of great disruption where corporations are really struggling, which, which is a way forward.
0: I wanna to get to that is, is talking about, you know, how do we use this as an asset but just before we move off it, I just wanna quickly hit on what are some of the other characteristics? Again, for the people who are listening to this to be better inclusive leaders, just so that they can be more aware too, is um, time management and rules, like making time management and rules more important than relationships is is very American. Uh, if, if you wanna comment on that quickly and then we'll move on. Just go ahead.
1: Yeah, And I actually, that's part of my story as a Latino from Latin America where, you know, I did not wear a watch and you know, you just went with the flow and let the spirit lead. And when the, when the time arrived, you would just feel it and know to go on to the next thing. I was in corporate America and I was late to everything. Why? Because as a communal person and a very relationship based person, you know, I was more focused on the person in front of me and the nature of the conversation and whether how we finished finish the conversation, how we arrived to a certain resolution, you know, where we enjoying the moment, but then I was uh, really str- struggling with making it to my next meeting. And in terms of resolving it, uh, you know, we have to be facile about the tension. Corporate America needs more of the interpersonal, less task orientation, so we can be more inclusive and equitable and create senses of belonging. You know, corporate America would do well. By using more we language and maybe rather than just rewarding people, individualistic, which leads to all kinds of problematic behaviors. What about rewarding groups of people for the communal work they do, right? But there's places, and this is my story, and I did my part in influencing the environment around me in those more Latin ways. But when it came to time, a a trusted mentor pulled me aside and, and this person knew how to motivate me. People try to motivate me on the time thing by saying, be more efficient, be more effective, get it together, be organized. That didn't speak to me because it's the value of relationships in the moment and the spontaneity and all that. But this person said, you know, you value people so much in the community. And when you're late time after time to the other meeting, you're disrespecting that other community that you're supposed to be a part of Be fine. You're not respecting the relationships and emotions around that. And like, oh, that was a way to get, to get me to change my behavior, but from a motivator that was from my own culture, as opposed to from a motivator that was from the other culture.
0: So uh, this is so powerful and I, I'm sure so helpful. Uh, so stiff upper lip versus pura vida, you know, is that whole thing of in, in uh, Anglo cultures, you have to be more constrained and more cold and uh you know in in latino cultures it's much more value to show your emotion and to be to be honest you're not being honest if you're not doing that right so wait 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 i don't want, i don't want to go down this hole because i want to get on to some of the okay. other things so uh hierarchy versus egalitarianism uh you know is is uh are you are you, the paternalism too is that you you the relationships are important but it's about hierarchy so you defer to hierarchy but that's how you get ahead and it's, it's complicated, so all of these things work together, but harnessing that, and you started to touch on it earlier, what we can benefit as, as culture, corporate culture becomes much more global, we should be drawing on these differences and changing corporate culture so that this community spirit, this sense of we, uh, could help us to overcome some of these divides of, of wealth and racial differences and immigrant status and, and all of these things. And so talk to us a little bit about how uh, Latino Latinx leaders can really contribute to culture by by showing a different way of power.
1: Yeah, so, you know, one of the character- other characteristics of Latino culture is uh, humildad, which is humility. And Latinos, and especially Latinas, are conditioned to just don't speak too much about your accomplishments, don't call attention to it, it's, don't be arrogant in that way. And so when it comes to power, there's a, it works both ways. Um, you know, that humility and the deference and the communal, actually, in a world that is where the hierarchies have collapsed, or the hierarchies lead to authoritarianism, right? Either at least authoritarianism or the hierarchies have collapsed because social media and everything has gone horizontal. You can't manage it in a top-down way anymore. You need people that are very good at that communal, relational, partnership collaboration. But the other side is true, too, that the sense of humildad has kept Latinos, and particularly Latinas, from Expressing themselves in a more powerful way, right? And has kept them from declaring their ambition. Because declaring your ambition explicitly is seen as culturally inappropriate. But corporate America l- listens for people that declare, I want to be there in a few years. What do I need to do? And that's something that we actually encouraging Latinos and Latinos to do more of. But similar to the backdoor motivation, the way we're doing it is. Rather than seeing it as a selfish thing, you're one of the few that have made it or that are making it. And your success means the success of the pueblo or the comunidad, la familia. For you to declare ambition in an honorable way, you open the path for the rest of the community because your success is our success. So, so that's explaining becomes,
0: it in a way that makes sense with the values.
1: Exactly. So that is really key and, and seeing ambition as an honorable thing. And one more thing about Latinas, which is very, very important, going back to the situation of pura vida and expressiveness. And this is just rife in just in the, the women in my life, my sisters and you know, my, my friends and all that, and also the, the, the women that we work with in terms of consulting, stuff like that. So many of them feel that their wings have been clipped, that they have been criticized and given performance feedback for being too passionate. And too emotional, and too caring, and too expressive. too much red lipstick. Yeah, and yeah, and it's all that, right? The 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 aesthetics, right? But that are important to show up in terms of identity, and so they pull back, and they just and the feeling that the wings have been clipped, and they start to operate in a way that is just less expressive and less themselves. And corporate America is losing out by coaching, Latinas into that. Bringing back down their expressiveness, and we gotta allow for that, you know, for obvious reasons.
0: I agree. And when they say women are emotional and men are not, I think that's crazy. I mean, men—I know male executives do throw chairs, you know, and and that's okay when it's a guy, but when it's a woman, you're too emotional, you know. Anyway, we won't go there. I, if you, I want to ask you, if you rewrote Autentico today, what would you add? What would you update about what Latinos need to know to succeed?
1: Yeah. And actually very timely question because we just rewrote it or uh, we are publishing the second edition uh, and we looked at it and this, you know, the body of it, we go, this is still true. And we got a lot of reader feedback and all that. But in the introduction to the second edition, we actually had to reflect on the current political environment and the current political environment was one where to be Latino was to be actually, you know, feeling threatened, right? Whether you are documented or undocumented. And, and, and so our sense, we cannot look up and just complain that those in power are overlooking us or those in power not being the allies they need to be, as much as they need to be. But we just can't sit back and wait for others to empower to do things for us. We have to recognize that we need to rise into power. And whether we get invited or not, we need to do the steps to step up and say, I wanna be there. I wanna go there. I need to do that. I need to be at the table and I'm gonna go there and do that.
0: I love it. And you are not only advising others to do that, you are running for city council in uh, your Chicago suburb, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. In the city of Highland Park, population 30,000. And I've been telling, you know, giving this message, right? We gotta go after power. And I realized, well, what are you doing, Andres? Right. And I've been supporting people, getting out the vote, giving money, campaigning for, you know, all that stuff. But then, but where am I in that? Right. And uh, I had an invitation six months, uh, you know, in the making to run. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Or I'm, you know, I got this thing. And finally I go, wait a minute. I got to listen to what I've been saying. And so I decided to run. And it's one of the best decisions I've, I've made in a really, really long time because I feel excited. I mean, obviously, you know, things aren't guaranteed, but there's a sense of, you know, there's something very different and very powerful about saying, I'm running for office. I want to win. I want to be at the table. And I want to make decisions on behalf of, you know, the population of this wonderful city that I live in. But I also want people like me to be at the table making decisions that can also help protect and enable and empower you know those that have been you know often forgotten
0: i get chills when you say that and it and it you know you're encouraging people to step up and be at the table in corporate america because you can in the business that you work in still protect other people set policies that are going to make a difference and all that and you've been doing that for 25 years in corporate america so for you to step out and and do it in your local city council is just an extension and like you said is you're you're telling other people to to step up and you you thought i got to step up too so but that's not going to stop you from continuing your powerful work at corn ferry uh you you're going to be able to do to do both and absolutely uh,
1: yeah very You're good, just
0: such great. a great example. Any last words of, of what do you what do you need this group to to know, whether they're Hispanic or Latino or, or not? Uh, last, last words of advice.
1: You know, I know that in your audience you have those that are part of the majority culture, those who are in the underrepresented talent. And I got I have messages for both. You know, for those uh, that are in majority, you know, allyship is really about recognizing that you got privilege and you have power. And instead of being apologetic or ashamed about it, my challenge to you is how are you gonna use it on behalf of those that have less of it? And how are you gonna share more of that power so that they can be you know, advocates for themselves and be at the table, not only as listeners or giving feedback with a focus group, but actually making the decisions, right? Right there as equal partners. So that's your challenge there. And then for those that are in the underrepresented talent, don't wait. Don't wait for them to do that. As much as they need to do that, you make a choice. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be? What table do you feel you're not at that you need to be at? And what is your plan to get there? And then don't wait, take the steps, you know, and do not apologize for your desire to have more power. Power has been used against us. Power can be abusive. Power can be corrupt, but power, And its moral essence is the ability to do what you would like to do. And if those are done and those things you want to do are full of good intentions and altruism and the betterment of our world, why the hell not have that power?
0: Wow. I just have chills. (laughs) Uh, and just am honored to be in your presence and to call you a friend. Uh, Keep on doing the great work you're doing. Uh, I, I, pray for your health because you're a national treasure. Uh, so happy that you took the time to, to join us all today and uh, just keep on doing it. Thank you.
1: Yeah, well, and Bonnie, you too. I'm a big admirer of your work and how many people that you've influenced with your messages about inclusion at every level, whether it be about disability or race or gender or other forms of inclusion. So uh, thank you for that.